following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. My name is Matt Perez, and my name is Satchel Drakes, and this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. But first, a quick break. Taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Veridesk, Rocket Mortgage, and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hey, Matt. Hey, Satchel. How's it going, dude? It's going all right. How about you? Yeah. I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm, like, chilling out. Yeah. Um, I was... This weekend was pretty good. It was it was eclectic, you know, filled with a bunch of different stuff. I saw Frozen on Broadway. That was cool. Oh, nice. I played some World of Warcraft and oh, um, yeah. I like have this thing where ever since I was in high school, I've always loved. So they had they had this period of time where they were, you know, they they inter- they first introduced PvP. I wasn't around for it. Give me respect. And <laughs> part of part of the, one of the things, part of the, one of the features they introduced in order to grease the wheels of competition was having um like a PVP sets like a uh, armor sets I'm actually sort of messing up the story because uh they also they also incentivized like uh like raiding and dungeon crawling with that as well which isn't anything new um but regardless they sort of had like PVP equipment sets that they also had like sets that you could get from raiding and I remember um just I would be so enamored. I'm one of those guys who cared so much about having such a good-looking avatar that um, I would wear equipment that wasn't beneficial to me at all. Like, the stats sucked, but it really, like, completed a whole look. Oh, it pops, man. And um, <laughs> and um, this was before transmogrification where you could cosmetically change whatever to be whatever you wanted. Um, but I was enamored with this the set for the Paladin class called the Judgment Set. It looked so... Bad A. It had this. It was this crazy robe with this crazy gold hammer and like this hood, and you had glowing eyes in the dark, and it was all this, whatever. And I guess ever since I was a kid, like at all costs, I had to play like day and night in order to get this set. And even now, as an adult, I'm trying to get it again because I never got it as a kid. Um, and it just requires like such a, a elaborate amount of scheduling. And <laughs> and coordinating and hours invested in yeah. order to get this thing going, um, and it has me, frankly, in one of the more addictive states of um, <laughs> of my I don't know my gaming career. Usually, I'm one and done, or like I'll play indie games mm. and I can kill in a Sunday afternoon. But this has me more involved. Well, yeah, like I'm trying to start playing through God of War. It's supposed to be really good, right? Oh my gosh! But Twitter's blowing up. Yeah, yeah. But like my friends, I don't know why they they all of a sudden were into it. But they're like, "You want to start playing leagues again?" I'm like, "I really don't want to." No. <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> obviously, like I play like a few games. I'm like, "All right, this is happening." And like, I uh, 
I have to uh, like I, I started a new account, so I don't have all my old champions, my old skins and stuff. So I'm like, screw it. Like my favorite champion is like I don't know ten bucks, and his amazing looking skin is like ten more bucks. I'll just spend the twenty Lord. and start grinding, man. And like that's what's happened. It's like. I've gone from like trying out Fortnite, which is really fun. Now it's kind of my go-to multiplayer game, and you know, occasionally playing like the single-player game, like God of War. But now, man, I'm just like so back into League of Legends because that was like, <laughs> it's what you said. It's like, it's my old addiction. It's like I am. I, I used to play that all the time. Like when I was um, <clears throat> freelancing, I wouldn't yeah. like maybe send out a pitch or like work on a video. Or and reward yourself. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm just gonna reward myself with a forty to an hour long game, and at the it's end of it, I'm games. gonna be miserable, yeah. and it's gonna be fine, you know. Like, um, <laughs> but no, like I, I really am back on the on the uh, the League of Legends train, where I can seriously like uh, this past week has been like a blur because there's like so much going on, and a lot of it I was just like, right now I kind of just want to put on music and zone out for a few hours playing League of Legends like it's, no I hear you yeah it's, and it's one of those it's one of those things where like once you have that muscle memory down like to dive in is not a big ask you know you know no. you're not going to be that frustrated or at least the frustration isn't going to be something that you're not expecting and you can just go in and it's amazing how hours fly by yeah right definitely and you know what's you know what the other bad thing is is I used to play uh champions that were never viable and, like, I just really enjoyed playing them, and I got used to them. But now my best champion's viable, and I'm like, oh, no. This, this gives me <laughs> even more incentive to keep playing because I'm dope with them right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely – but, like, what, like I feel like that's a, that's a thing that pops up a lot is uh, we just, like, said it. It's, like, you become really obsessed with it, and uh, – and I always used to like worry about that, like especially like again when I didn't have like a full job to like fall back on. It was like, no, I'm just gonna spend a lot of my free time that I really shouldn't be spending, just like grinding in League of Legends. And it, it goes back and forth of like, um, you know what's harder with the job? Like, it's so much easier to get nickel and dimed. Is it not? Maybe it's me. Oh yeah, I am totally but fine like- with spending money now. I'm like a skin, whatever. I'll spend the money, like. <laughs> but it totally is a thing of uh, I I have to like balance it in my mind of like okay am I just you know rewarding myself and like enjoying the game and it's totally fine or should I not spend as much time and like you know balance it a or little are you bit falling better. victim to being their target demo yeah oh yeah yeah exactly and that's definitely something that I had in mind while freelancing of like. I think I started putting a little bit of a cap on how much I was uh, playing. I was like, okay, you can't do this all the time, like, and that was definitely I was able to to put in have like a little bit of self control and do that. But I don't know if that was ever something that popped in your mind. Uh, wait, like what part? Like you, 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 you almost think you're getting actually legit like addicted to it and going like, ah, maybe I should uh, back away a little bit. Like I'm getting like too, you know, too into it. I think. I think the conflation of general stigma and like being around a lot of church kids who stigmatize everything <laughs> definitely has me always wondering if like it, this is stuff like from back when I was like a kid like even now like I'll play something and I'm very quick to uh very quick to judge 
very quick to be like, oh no, is this addictive behavior? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, wait a minute, like, let's zoom out, look at the grand scheme of my life. Everything else is in place. I have a free night. I can just go in. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's almost like in a lot of ways, like, we socially have to allow ourselves because there are certain activities that if you are addictive about them, you're just passionate. And there are other activities that if you're mildly or moderately invested, um, you really need to watch out. You know what I mean? And, you know, there are some things that maybe that's valid. Like, you know, I'm lax on the prospect. I don't really do it, but I'm lacked on, I'm lack on the prospect of, uh, somebody deciding to use marijuana because it's not habit forming versus meth or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But within the realms of, I even hate that I use that I'm putting drugs and games on the same table. But I guess I'm just using comparatively. Like with video games, I feel like we could probably just chill out. Like it's probably fine. Yeah, it's definitely. I remember um, again because everything goes back to freelancing because uh, it's definitely like you feel guilty when you're not working while doing while like freelancing. And, uh, totally real. Yeah. I remember, or it's like it's a plus. Also, I guess like being unemployed because those two go together pretty well. Um, but uh, ah. yeah, I remember seeing like. But a, true though. Yeah, right. I remember seeing a study of like what freelancers or people that have graduated and are looking for work do in their free time, and it's like yeah, like I, it's a thing of you shouldn't make yourself feel that guilty over doing something that you enjoy because. Um, what was it like in the, I, it seemed like in the morning, like people spend, you know, two to three hours just on that job application grind. We have to like go through these ridiculous resumes constantly, like online resumes. But like after that, it's like people just chill out and watch some Netflix. And it, that's another right. thing that people are like, um, I'm binging and watching too much Netflix. And it's like, ah, uh, you know, it's probably fine. you like, you can reward yourself and you don't have to feel that guilty, but definitely I, it's it's tough for me not to put feel guilty basically or think like there might be something wrong or like using as a crutch or something and uh yeah. i i do think there's probably um there is something to that like having an addictive personality i think i have like I, that's the thing it, it, it's it's the balance of saying a, addictive personality where it's like there are people with an actual personal disposition toward it and then there's me who like if i have like i i can either have zero cups of coffee or i can have 10 a day like where it's like i have to <laughs> i definitely have that like i go in on things but uh uh i i wouldn't i wouldn't say i have that disposition of being addicted to something so i think there's that trying to figure out that balance of you know i think i think i could resonate with that a little bit i think for me it's a little different it it's like um it's like if there sorry I adjusted my mic and it clicked so just uh starting over from there. I think it's a uh, a situation where for me it might not necessarily be like this game has me but there'll be a particular task uh to get something or maybe there's something I want and then the moment that I've established in my mind that this is something that I want um I will stop at nothing to get there. So like right now I'm sucked in a wow. But once I get the set that I want, I mean, who really knows? But I think ultimately a lot of this sort of drivenness is going to subside unless there's another task. And probably for a lot of games like LOL and and, and others, like, 
what they end up doing is knowing that there's going to be a spectrum of players who are interested in different things. And what happens over like a course of time for a massively like online multiplayer game like that, usually there are a lot of different jobs that you can do and not everybody's doing everything at once. Some people are and they're crazy, but I also respect them. But a lot of people are focusing on the through line of that one particular thing. And, um, I think that's usually where it comes through for me, but honestly for anything like it, I mean, right now it's a video game. Video games are having a moment in my life, but like it could be a similar thing with like, oh, I really want to make this short film that does whatever, and like I will stop at nothing to make sure that that goes down. Um, so, but yeah, I definitely relate with just that idea of, you know, once you get sucked into something, it's really hard for it to let you go. I imagine though, for you, it's just not ending with League of Legends. <laughs> I, yeah, I was about to say, I thought maybe because I, I remember like my big goal was to get um, to gold, and that like I got that like a few years ago, and I and and then I was like, all right, my new goal will be platinum, and. Again, like I wasn't using good champions, so I didn't get the platinum. But I think I like eventually was like, "Oh, good job, you got gold, you're good," and I stopped playing it. But now I'm like, "All right, now I want to get to level thirty and start playing ranked again," which is fine. I I, I play it with my friends; it's enjoyable. Um, it's just and but yeah, like it totally is a thing of uh, it's just bringing up these these things of the past. I guess the um, the control of this would be there is a um, a section of the audience and a section of games where it it goes from being, yeah, like you're playing League of Legends, which requires you just be like a smart player and be mechanically sound and like, you know, study the game. And that there's a lot of cool aspects of that and a lot of interesting ways to go about that. There are games and uh, uh, like we've had discussions about loot boxes and, and of the, uh, things of that sort where it no longer becomes like, it, it it turns into something different, and I think it affects people differently. And that's where I think uh, there are like questions regarding responsibility by companies, uh, and and probably requires some discussion about the psychology behind why people will basically. I mean, at this point gamble away a little bit of money to to get some some things within uh this within a game like a digital marketplace you know there's so much ground here and i i'm really uh i'm really happy with the conversation that we got to have uh with our guest about just how all of this sort of even from just a developmental stage impacts our lives whether it's video games or whether it's just the the construct of addiction itself Yes. We talked to Peter Gray, who's a research professor at the Department of Psychology at Boston College, uh, about addiction, about how games affect the brain, the science behind that, and uh, things of that sort. So uh, let's, uh, let's get into that. But first, a quick break. This year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old and hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veridesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. 
Veridesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veridesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veridesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. See it for yourself at Veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. And there's ZipRecruiter. Hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now we're joined by Peter Gray. He's a research professor at the Department of Psychology at Boston College. Peter, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to do so. Great. So uh, can you first off tell us a little bit about gaming addiction, like what defines it and uh, how going from being enthusiastic about gaming can turn into a problem and maybe a bit of psychology behind it? Yeah, well, you know, we <laughs> we keep hearing about gaming addiction. Uh, let me preface anything else I say by saying that we way overuse this word addiction. Um, we kind of use it, generally speaking, for anything that we like to do, that we spend a lot of time doing. Um, and this word, when it's applied to video gaming, has led to a lot of unnecessary scare, in my opinion. Um, so the actual research um, shows that there are a small number of people who play video games a lot, um, who uh, might have what some researchers call an obsession for it. Um, and an obsession can be either good, you know, whenever we're passionate about something, we might call that an obsession. Um, I have an obsession for kayaking and for gardening. As a kid, there was a period of time I had an obsession for fishing. I spent every free moment fishing and I dreamed about fishing and so on. I don't think anybody called that pathological. Uh, but we tend to call it pathological. We tend to use this pathological term when we see kids playing video games because we adults uh, often don't understand them and we kind of vilify them. Uh, that having been said, there is a small number of people, both children and adults, who are playing video games and are not really happy with their lives. They're, the video game itself um, might be resulting in some kind of an escape, uh, might be serving some function, but it's not really bringing happiness to their life, and they're not experiencing joy in other aspects of their life. 
those are the cases where the term addiction might um, reasonably apply. And um, those are cases that are not going to be solved by taking the video game away. Um, they would really be solved by helping this person find out what else is wrong with their life and why is it that they're just doing video games if they're not enjoying the video games particularly. Mm -hmm. Is that similar to other addictions where, you know, something is used as a crutch? I well, in other addictions, I'm not sure that you would say it's being used as a crutch. Nor, um, I mean, certainly an, that that could be true in some cases. I mean, if you're the cases where the term addiction most clearly apply are drug addictions. You know, where you are physically dependent on this. You experience withdrawal symptoms um, when you are not doing it. Serious withdrawal symptoms. Um, one, I think it's also reasonable to speak of addiction in the case of uh, compulsive gambling. And it's interesting to note that the people who, at least some of the people who study what they call video game addiction, use the same questionnaire as is used for compulsive gambling. But um, I think mistakenly so. If you think about it, gambling is such a different thing from playing a video game. <laughs> you know, most gambling, unless you know how to cheat, is just pure luck. It's just a stupid, dumb thing to do. You do the same thing over and over and over again. And sometimes you win and most often you lose. And in the long run, if you, unless you know how to cheat, you always lose, uh, if, at least if you're playing at the kinds of casinos that most gambling addicted people play. And um, you could almost say that for somebody who's doing that, there's something irrational going on. <laughs> you know, they're losing money, they're getting into debt, they're destroying their life and their family. Um, that's so different from a video game. A video game is not a matter of luck. It's a matter of skill. It's like any other game. It's like chess. But richer because there's so many different variants and there's no end to how difficult you can make it. So people who are playing video games are not—they're not gambling for money. You know, maybe a few are, but they're playing the video game to get better at something that's very difficult. It involves very difficult, depending on the game you're playing. Many of them involve extraordinarily difficult cognitive skills, and so these are people who are passionately involved in that, and um, their their reward is that they're getting better and better at it. That's very different from, say, the compulsive gambler, where which is the one sort of the one behavioral realm where I think the word addiction is probably generally speaking appropriate. Given our, this sort of understanding of the way society kind of overreaches in using the word addiction and there's sort of being this misconception around it, I'm kind of curious to know in your research, what are some of the, and obviously understanding that like, human subjectivity on this is just, it's going to be a spectrum, but like, what are some of the more repeatable short tail behaviors of, um, addiction being something that's going on? Well, I, I would say that, you know, the, 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 the studies that in my mind are the best studies sort of identifying cases of what we might call unhealthy video gameplay, um, are people, are cases where, the real, the real distinction is not the based on how much you're playing it. 
It's based on, uh, because there are a lot of people who play lots of video games, play a lot of time, and, and many of them go on. We have a long enough history of this. Many of them go on to very great lives, <laughs> and they talk about what they learned in their video game play as um, contributing very well to their success in whatever field they went on in. And, and in fact, there's some research that shows that the very kinds of skills that are developed in video game play are the kinds of skills that would help you as a CEO of a major company, uh, that would help you, different kinds of games have different purposes, help you as a surgeon, you know, help you as an airplane pilot. Uh, there's so much research showing the cognitive kinds of cognitive skills developed in that way. So it's not, it's not that just because you're playing a lot of video games, you're doing something harmful to yourself. But if you're playing a lot of video games, and you're not enjoying it that much, and you're not enjoying the rest of life, that's where probably the word addiction might apply, although I personally would avoid it because I don't think that I don't think it's helpful to use that term in this case. I would more often use the term, the term that you mentioned before, being used kind of as a crutch, being used as a replacement for the rest of life because there's something about the rest of life that you haven't adapted to. You know, there are these cases, uh, they tend to get blown up by the popular press. They're not all that frequent, but they, they occur. Where somebody who is a very, uh, very much into video play is also extremely depressed. And sometimes they're interpreted in such a way as to lead the readers to believe that they're depressed because of the video game play. But the clinical studies that have been done with such people suggest that the cause effect is in the other direction. They're playing video games as much as they are because they're depressed. And they're too depressed to go out to their job, to go to school, to uh, do new things that would help them get out of their depression, meeting other people, and so on. And so those are cases where the video game really is a crutch. You know, my advice, I, I give a lot of talks to parents, and, and my primary topic is play, and I'm not really, I, originally I didn't even say anything about video games, but it turns out that that's the first question everybody asks me after the talk is, well, what about video games? My kid is really into video games. And so my answer when they say that is um, sort of too- Wow, I didn't know it was still like a stigma like that. Sorry, go on. <laughs> is really uh, is really twofold. The first is um, the first is that is your child happy? Does your child enjoy the video games? And the second is, does your child have other real options? And by real options, I mean the kinds of options that are really important to children. Children need to play, and they need to play with other children, and they need to play away from adults. And we today live in a world in which it's very difficult for kids to get away from adults. We're more or less, we're more or less around them all the time. They spend more and more time in school and in school-like activities, and we don't let them just go out and run and play and find other kids as they used to. And so as a consequence, the, oftentimes the only way they can play with other kids is online. And so it, I say to a parent, you know, does your child really have the option to just go out and play with other kids? It's not enough just to say, I let my child outdoors. That's no big deal for a child. A child needs to be out there and find other kids to play with. 
So I think that we have this almost uh, knee-jerk reflex in our culture that if we think that's, that a child is doing too much of something or we adults who don't understand this thing that they're doing think it might be harmful or we've read these scare articles in the popular press, our instinct is to, is to add one, yet one more restraint on what our children can do. And what I want to encourage people to do is stop thinking about restraining children from what they can do. Let's open up the menu. Let's give them more options. My observations are that when children have lots of options, there's really, there's kids outdoors playing, there's, you know, beckoning to come outdoors. What you find is a pretty good balance for most people. You know, there are always some people who prefer outdoor play and would play very little on computers. And there's others the other way around. But if that's their choice and they're enjoying that, I don't think that's harmful. But it's harmful if the person is just playing video games and they would really rather be outdoors playing. There was actually a study, this was a number of years ago, um, uh, sponsored by the IKEA Corporation. And um, what they did is they surveyed children online. So these were all kids who are, had computers and were on computers at the time of the survey. And they asked, would you right now rather be uh, playing on your computer, a video game or whatever it is you would want to play? Or would you rather be out in a park playing with your friends? And 85% of them said they would rather be out in a park playing with their friends. But that's not an option. So there are games that tend to like use a model that becomes, I'm trying to think of another word for addicting, but I guess addicting, like... You know, you level up, you get one more thing. You're like, okay, just one more game, one more game. And and I, I feel like there's been, um, you know, some controversies around like companies using research about like, okay, what's the most, what's the best model we can do to be effective sales wise? Where like, you know, you create a model that I don't know if that's just like you're creating like a model that is just effectively giving you a nice dopamine hit, like a good loop of that, or mm-hmm. if that's like. You know, maybe right. you're exploiting something and maybe the company needs to, take, needs to take responsibility. I guess that's the discussion going on. I don't know if you had thoughts about that. Yeah, that, that is a discussion. I've also heard this regarding social media that, uh, that the platforms add in these little uh, reinforcers as a way of uh, keeping you on to it. Um, I think I've heard it for social media more than for video games, uh, but that may just be the uh, indication of what I've heard rather than the reality. Um, I I think that with video games, you know, there are actually um, research studies, focus group studies, where you get gamers together and you talk with them. So what is it that really attracts you to video games? And what is it that keeps you playing on these video games? And at least according to the people doing this, and these are people who play a lot of video games, um, the thing that keeps them to do it are, are, are actually three things. And um, I would argue we can hardly uh, criticize the video companies, if, the game companies, if they are adding these things to the game. One is the sense of competence. Um, there's no end. You're always at the cutting edge of your skill level in a video game because you, 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 know, you, get, you, you, set, you, you reach one level and now you go up to the higher level. There's always new challenges. You know, that's not true so much of other kinds of games. That's not necessarily true of checkers, for example. You know, you play checkers for a while and you've got it down pretty much. (laughs) 
you play chess even, and then it sort of becomes a matter of memorization rather than cleverness. How many positions can you remember, and so on. And and so for unless you're unless you're really a, a, a rare person, uh, you kind of reach a certain level in chess, and it's no longer that interesting to you. Uh, the rest would require a lot of study and memory because you, you aren't really kind of just meeting the challenge by just fiddling with the game. Um, so the um, uh, so so, but but is this a good thing or a bad thing? You know, <laughs> I think it's a good thing. You know, these cha- you, you're challenging yourself continuously, and you kind of want to keep going because you want to get better. Um, the other things that it provides are a sense of autonomy. So, you know, we live in a world where kids especially, but adults to a large degree too, um, really suffer from a lack of freedom. Um, Kids especially, though, you know, they're micromanaged in school all day. They're put in adult-directed activities out of school. Uh, They're constantly being evaluated by adults rather than by themselves, judging their own competence and so on. But in the video game, they're kind of free. There's no parent, no teacher looking over them, I hope, <laughs> telling them exactly what they're supposed to do and not do. There's a lot of choices to be made, including which game to play, how to play the game. Many of the games are highly creative. So there's a lot of sense of freedom in that game. And then the, th- and then the third thing they talk about is uh, the social connections that they make through the games. Many of the games, increasingly so, the games are social in the sense that you're playing online with other players, Uh, kids who are lucky enough to have friends in the same room playing the game with them are right there. And even when they are not playing the game, uh, they're talking about the game with their friends. So it's interesting to me, you know, there's a realm of psychology called uh, self-direction theory, which says that there are really three three basic needs that human beings have beyond the physical needs of the need for for, uh, water and food and oxygen, that we we need um, autonomy. We need to feel we're in charge of our life. We need a sense of accomplishment, a sense of mastery, a sense that we can solve difficult problems and, and, uh, and, uh, and meet challenges. And we need relationships. We need connections. So it's interesting to me that those focus group studies show that the reason that video games are so compelling is that they probably better than any other kind of game that's been developed, seem to meet those challenges, seem to meet those needs, I should say. Right now, uh, people are talking about regulations with uh, things called loot boxes that are more randomized. And you're seeing like the reaction from the audience saying like, oh, we don't really want these. And I think a lot of companies are starting to steer away from them. But they were, I guess, being used as like, I, I think they would be pretty distressing, I guess, uh, uh, where it's, it, it borders on gambling. And I know I think uh, the Netherlands maybe have just put in regulations of like, no, these things are probably has the same effect of gambling. But I suppose that's, you know, that that is gaming companies probably using that exploitation. But at the same time, it it then goes away from like what we traditionally think of gaming into the realm of 
a different sort of gaming, which is gambling. We we already right. know about those type of effects. You know what? I think I, th- I think I have a I think I have a good example, and maybe this will help sort of sure. paint the picture. Let's let's take for example Farmville. It was this very popular Facebook game that put this this uh, this development team on the map that eventually went bankrupt because it didn't have like stay power. But when it was sort of in its heyday, which is around like two thousand eight two thousand nine, um, the idea is hey like. You know, welcome to this virtual world that we've created for you. Here's some free utilities. Here's free seeds. Like, here's some free water. Like, Uh put together and make the most beautiful farm that you've ever had. You know what I mean? And you go out, you make it, you invest, you know, maybe an hour or two, and you get yourself very involved in sort of the mechanics of the game. They're like, okay, come back in, like, four hours, and you have to water it or else your crops are going to die. And you kind of come back, you go, and then they're like, oh, no, like, you're out of water. Now, the water we gave you in the beginning was free, but, you know, you could really help this out. You could really preserve your crops if you have something to do, like a meeting or right. something to do in the real world. Like, if right. you pay just $2, like, you can get the water that you need, and you can come back to your farm tomorrow instead of four hours from now, and everything will be here and things will be great. And this sort of this sort of transaction kind of propagates over time, right. and it's engineered in a way that the moment you spend, the system now marks you as somebody who can spend and it treats you differently knowing that you will spend and i I think that that's more like that kind of behavior is what we're kind of getting at with those kind of outlier games yeah that that's a that's a good point and um and i guess i guess there's two responses i i would um have no objection to trying to regulate that kind of thing (laughs) and i also think that that it's also if we're talking about kids i think it is parents place to sort of teach their children and warn their children about traps and dangers. And that's true whether it's about outdoor play or indoor play. So instead of banning kids from playing outdoors, let's say, or instead of banning them from playing video games, maybe it's parents' responsibility to um, let their children know about some of the traps and dangers that you could get into. So for for kids, you're going out to the play, play in the park. You teach them how to watch both ways when they're crossing the street. You warn them about don't get into the car of somebody who stops and gives you candy and says, "Hey, would you like to take a drive with me?" You know, give them, you know, right. teach them these things. Don't instead what we're doing today, instead of teaching children as we used to in the past uh, about the kinds of dangers and how to take care of themselves. We are just banning them from going outdoors and playing. Similarly, I would have that attitude about, about the screen. You know, there are certain traps. There, there, there are companies out to exploit you in certain kind of ways. Get suspicious if they start asking for money for stuff. You know, that could get you into a trap. Get suspicious <laughs> about this or that. Uh, you know, uh, also, don't give them the credit card, right? You know, I mean, don't don't give them the opportunity to be spending your money on these things. So this has been really great. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Up next, Eric Kane and Paul Tassi talk about Destiny 2 in light of the new Warmind DLC announcement and why the game still feels like such a huge letdown. But first, a quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? 
Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. I can't believe it. That Philip brought his little brother on our mission into orbit? How long until we get there? How long until we get there? How long until we get there? No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? No, 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 don't touch that. Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the reveal of the next Destiny 2 DLC, which is called Warmind. And Bungie just showed it off uh, on stream a little while ago for like an hour-long kind of broadcast thing like they used to do. And yeah, now we're kind of trying to figure out uh, what we make of it and if we're excited for it, given all Destiny 2's other problems. Uh, I don't know. How how are you feeling about it, Eric? Well, (laughs) I I have to admit a certain certain degree of apathy when it comes to Destiny 2. Um, It's it's like a news item that, you know, maybe back in the day with Destiny, with like the Taken King or something, I'd be all over it, um, watching the live streams and looking at all that, you know. But this, this time around... I was really hopeful that there would be a new enemy and just not having any new enemies still just feels really, I don't know if I want to use the word lazy or if I just uninspired maybe. I just, it's hard for me to care that much about a new DLC. And I think that's made even a little bit more, I was watching the trailer for the DLC and you know, you've got this new, uh, the new character that's been introduced, the new NPC and she's talking about all this stuff. And all I could think the whole time was, boy, this is going to be awkward when this character talks to my guardian and my guardian just stands there <laughs> quietly. Like, that's all I can think about now when I when I see new characters and new story stuff added. I'm like, I don't want Nolan Bot to do all the talking for me. You know, so there's just, I don't know. I, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with Destiny 2. How about yeah, you? Um, I guess I'm a little more excited than you. I, I, w- I will agree with some of the kind of criticisms of it where... Yeah, I, when I saw they're like, oh, it's Frozen Hive now. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> like, it's like this knight has a sword and a shield now. It's like that is not a new enemy type. <laughs> like that's not. No. I mean, I don't know. I guess this is a, a quote unquote minor DLC. So I, I was not really expecting like a whole new race or something. But with all this talk about Warmind stuff, I was hoping maybe they'd build at least a couple new enemy types that are like some sort of robots controlled by the war mind or just something that's different than what we've seen before. And not just like blue hive, <laughs> like we yeah. had red fallen for the, the SIVA rise of iron expansion and then gradient pattern <laughs> races for the <laughs> taken. And like, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like you spin a wheel and it lands on like one adjective and then it lands on like a race. And it's like, 
glowing <laughs> vex, <Polka> frozen <laughs> cabal. It, it, it's basically Mad Libs for Destiny. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, so that's that's kind of like expected, but still disappointing. Like I'm hoping maybe they keep they're keeping some stuff under wraps, but I feel like they would have at least kind of talked about like, Oh, there's going to be surprise enemies or something. Like I, I, I bet they'll do something maybe somewhat original with maybe some of the bosses and stuff, but yeah, I'm, I don't know what to make of the Anna Bray stuff either. I think, you know, she looks like a cool character, but I, I, I worry about these DLCs where it's like just kind of one new NPC and then it's just them talking to your ghost. And then there's not voice work from like 90% of the rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, I don't know. I agree with you that Des- Destiny will not be able to tell a very good story until it first invests more into just storytelling. So it's not just like six cutscenes and when to making your guardian talk. So it's not just the ghost talking all the time. But it seems well, it a bit late for that now. Way. So <laughs> it's it's just you know it's it also just kind of drives me crazy the whole style of storytelling in Destiny. The like everything is really vague and like melodramatic and there's not a whole lot of like character stuff going on. There's nothing personal. You know that, like there's, there's nothing really personal, nothing personal yeah. at all. It's like these giant threats that, you know, are going to end the world or this or that. And like, I get that you have to have some elements <laughs> of that, but there's really nothing personal at all. Like even when they have potential for personal things, like curse of Osiris, like, okay, this dude was like, you know, the leader of the guardians. And then he got exiled and he was like, Ikora's mentor. And she kind of had to like turn against him and like, there's some like potential for real kind of drama and character stuff there. And they just didn't do anything with it. Not really like not for more than yeah. like two sentences. So it's, I feel like they miss opportunities, you know, when they can, can do that. And there are like very brief hints of that kind of stuff. Like I think there's some lore stuff about like Cade having a kid or something and like trying to find his kid or something, but like this is very few and far between and we don't see nearly enough of that stuff. And you personally will never have anything personal because you're just some nameless mm-hmm. unspeaking guardian. <laughs> so there's, there's yeah. not ever going to be a personal story for you and your character, which is a, a storytelling you're like, bummer. You're like the exposition dump receiver, you know, like you just sit there and everyone exposition dumps all over you it's it's not a fun way to have a story you know and you compare this to other stories like video games can tell great stories we've seen that with with uh, god of war recently which i haven't finished but uh so far it's an amazing story it with amazingly personal relationships and you've seen it in more like in, in the mass effect you know you have great stories with with characters interacting with each other and in destiny you have just it just feels so flat. I couldn't. I couldn't even tell you what's happening half the time because it just. I don't care about any. I'm tired of saving the world all the time. You know. I want. I want interesting adventures. Like when I first heard about Destiny, like it, it really sounded like. A, I don't know. More like a Star Wars or something. You know, where you're you're off. You know, you'd go to crazy locations and you'd meet up with people at the at the cool tavern and, and all, you know, I guess I just implanted a lot of my own ideas on what I wanted this, this series to be, but you were not alone in that. Know, <laughs> yeah. And I, well, it was partly Bungie's fault for, for kind of misleading, I feel like in the very beginning. And, um, you know, there's so much to enjoy about destiny, but it's certainly not the story. And it's, and then, and then, you know, you, you, you call this Warmind a minor DLC, but really like the, it may be a minor DLC, but it's a big deal for, destiny too you know like this is the first new major content in a while and the last dlc was really lackluster 
Yeah, and so I, I guess I have higher hopes this time around because I, I, I mean, well, I want to say Bungie's good at learning at their mis- from their mistakes, but that's only true like half the time. And then they have like a cycle where they'll learn for like a year and then they'll start all over again. <laughs> Um, but this time, like, I, I feel like they're going to do some cool stuff, like hiding secrets and like, you know, making players do that kind of exploration and stuff again, which was totally lacking from Destiny 2 and the first expansion. And like players have just been beating that drum so loudly. I have to believe that they're going to bring some of that stuff back. Um, yeah, I'm also excited. I'm just excited for new content to play because they did do this like really big kind of combat movement speed revamp patch and like i've played a little bit of it and it's it's a lot better especially in pve but the problem was i didn't have anything to do like once you know i played it for like a day it was just messing around doing strikes and stuff but like i you know i have like pretty close to max level characters and like there's not there was nothing left to do so at least there's going to be new content now to kind of play with the new update and like you know feeling a lot more powerful than we used to and they're doing this big pass on all the uh, exotic weapons and stuff to make them feel more powerful. So kind of combining a lot of these different things together, at least from a gameplay perspective, I'm, I'm really looking forward uh, to kind of test driving that out and like playing this new horde mode kind of thing, which seems like perfect for kind of trying out the new combat system and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt that there's, you know, and I still have to fire it up and try out some of these new changes. Um, and they have definitely been working to make it a better game. And, you know, once they figure out the loadout uh, slots, I think they'll really have a, <laughs> you know, like a much better just base experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's someday. But, you know, once they get all the sort of basics in place, which is really what should have been in place at launch, then then the question still comes down to, like, why wasn't there any new enemies at launch? You know, like, why didn't... I, I just, you know, just as, as a gamer of many years, like, when you release a sequel, you typically see some kind of new enemy. Now, maybe that's not so true for Bungie with the Halo series, uh, Halo's a and, lot different of a type of game, but, though. Like with a game like this, yeah. you certainly would. And I'm still mad about the oh, lack yeah, of of new classes. Like that, even yes. more than new enemies, oh, yes. I'd say new classes are like a no brainer for a sequel. Like you wouldn't go from you know Borderlands one to two or Diablo one to two without adding like I don't know, two or three new classes at least. <laughs> and they didn't do anything. Yeah. They replaced one subclass for each person. And arguably with a worse awesome. subclass, <laughs> like that was it. That was the whole change. And you know, I I assume we're going to get one more subclass or something in the fall expansion. But like, I don't. And like they've sort of boxed themselves in here with this. There are only three types of guardians thing. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. story ways you could get around that, but it's it does seem weird to me that it's been we're going to be going on four years and had like just three classes in a game like this, and still fundamentally. These classes are not, in my opinion, not differentiated enough from each other. Um, yeah. Not as much as they should be, at least. So I, that that's something that's really bothered me from the start. And that, that's not changing at all in this expansion either, obviously. So kind of a bummer. Yeah, there. it really seems to me like there should be new classes added kind of on the regular. Like, I'm not saying every update, but, you know, a new class comes out with the next big expansion and then a new class comes out with the next game and then another new class comes out with the next big expansion. And, you know, you start to have what looks like kind of more like an MMO with a bunch of different classes to choose from. It gives you a lot of replay value. Yeah, how many classes and does they, WoW have now? Like a bazillion? Like there's a ton. I mean, a Borderlands kept adding, like per DLC, they would add at least one new character to play. I think they got up to yeah, like you five or six Diablo. or seven by the end of Borderlands 2. 
And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't get that at all. I, I don't see it happening just cause like they, they have not laid the groundwork for that at all. And they seem so locked into only three classes. Like I get, it would be hard work. Cause like, I guess once you introduce a new class, you need, it's not just like coming up with a skill kit. It's like armor and in stuff for the entire class and you have to catch up and like have as much stuff for them as you do other people. But like, I don't care. I, you should still be able to do that. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't even think you'd have to have as much stuff right off the bat. Like you just need to have a good amount and then you can keep adding it as you go. Yeah. I mean, it's a living game. So they have a lot of flexibility with, I think players would certainly understand if the new warden class or whatever didn't have all the armor and everything else, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that just seems like a no-brainer. And honestly, like, when you look at a skill tree in Destiny 2 for for any of these classes, I mean, not only are they not that differentiated, but there's just not much there. Like, you level up your character so fast. Calling it it a skill tree is generous at this point. It's like like you pick two two paths, essentially. Like, you pick your type of grenade, (laughs) and then you pick, like, do I want this type of, of kit or this type of kit? And that's it. You can't even, like, mix and match any of the elements anymore. I mean, think about, like, if they added, or or even if they added a new race, you know, like, just, that would be almost entirely cosmetic and whatnot, but that would still be cool. Like, I feel like there's this, in Destiny 2, there's this lack of cool. Like, they, 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 they went and they, they kind of recreated Destiny 1 and they left out a lot of the things that made that game work by the end. But they also didn't really, like, say, okay, how are we going to make this, this new game, like, have really cool, exciting stuff in it. And it's just, it just doesn't they didn't build like on anything. That. Like they, they yeah. just, you know, it's in size wise, it felt like a sequel because they have four new zones. The zones are pretty big. They had a lot of missions, but like it was fundamentally <laughs> just identical to what destiny one was, where you were using the same three classes fighting the same four or five enemy races and so, like, it just, it didn't feel, like, just because you were in new zones and using, I guess, some new weapons, even though a lot of the weapons carried over, too, <laughs> like, it, yeah. it just felt too similar. And I guess even now, like, even, you know, as we're getting into these new DLCs, like, they're adding new weapons and stuff, but they're not adding new, they're still not adding new enemies, they're still not adding new, really, abilities and subclasses and classes and anything like that. So, it feels very it, yeah, it's just, it's just more Destiny, which... Destiny is is fun enough where that's something I still want to play personally, but if other people are just kind of getting bored with it and just like, oh, now I just need to get this cool new armor set or like this new exotic, like I I feel like it has to be more than that and it just isn't. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I think like Destiny's had kind of an identity crisis since its launch. Like, what is this game? Is it an MMO? Is it a shooter with sequels? Like, it's a game as service, right? And it's kind of one of the first modern games as service that's not an MMO. But it's trying to kind of be multiple things, and it's kind of failing at all of those things at once. So you have a... It's sort of a, a tricky situation on how to fix that, because, you know, like World of Warcraft, there's no World of Warcraft 2. You know, there's expansions, mm-hmm. But those expansions actually seem to add more than Destiny 2 added. You know, an expansion for World of Warcraft comes with, you know, maybe two new um, classes, maybe a new race, a whole new zone, all, all this, you know, a new level cap, all this other stuff. You know, Destiny 2 just, you know, instead of adding on to Destiny 1, it, it actually took away not just subclasses, but also whole zones. I mean, it's not like we can go to the old Destiny 1 zones in, Des- in Destiny 2 now. You know, so instead of instead of an additive where we keep on adding to the experience, 
Destiny 2 is a replace. And that's part of the reason why it feels like it's it's not enough. Because we're replacing all this old stuff with new with new stuff, but we're still not getting new classes, new races, new enemies. Yeah, it also it also kind of killed at least for me and maybe some other people, like the the te- the ten year dream of like, okay, I really love Destiny, like I'm in this for the long haul. But with this hard reset, it it doesn't feel like an investment. Like I get that technically I'm using the same Guardian that I was in Destiny 1, although I'm not because I switched from <laughs> Xbox One to PS4. Yeah. But like I, you know, I designed them the same way and whatever. But like it to to reset everything, like to lose all the content, to lose all everything you've amassed and just replace it with just a new a sequel. Like this it never seemed like the type of series that should do that. I agree. And like logistically I can understand it. Like if, if they wanted, you know, cause the last game is designed for last gen and they want bigger zones and like, maybe it was more of a technical thing, but I think the game really suffered because of it. And it's why you still have people going back to destiny one and like trying to, <laughs> you know, relive the glory days by playing old content again. But yeah. I agree. I, I don't think there should have been a destiny two. I just think it should have been kind of an ongoing additive thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know why they chose not to do it that way. Maybe it was also financial and they want to continue to sell $60 box copies every three years. But, you know, with Destiny 2, now I'm feeling weird about like, okay, how much time do I really want to put into this when like, Destiny clearly 3. this has been pretty lackluster and clearly Destiny 3 is just going to wipe the slate clean again and do God knows what in like two years or whatever. Yeah, I mean, imagine if, you know, just, I, I, I do think it was a limitation on the technology that was big, a big part of it, the the engine they were using was really hard to update. Uh, you know, content updates were difficult and slow and painstaking. But imagine if Destiny Two had released and it had all the old zones. You know, it had all the old planets from Destiny One, all the old content, but also all the new content and you know the quality of life improvements like the map and everything else. And all of that was included. And so you had, you know, have almost twice the game with Destiny 2 then, right? And of course, yeah, you know, even if that stuff wasn't like actively useful anymore, and even if it was old stuff, it was still, it would still feel like the world was growing. Like, oh, I'm landing in the dead zone instead of old Russia, but I can go to mm-hmm. both if I want. And like, yeah, maybe right. there is a mission or two in the old sections. Well, there would and be. Like, I, there would I don't know. Be. Like, I, I think that, you know, we have all these games doing HD remasters and re releases and stuff. And like, I think it would be a really cool idea if Bungie adapted Destiny 1 stuff for Destiny 2 and just uploaded the zones and like and just recreated the old missions and like yeah it would still be under the new system with the new loadouts and like tweaked enemies and stuff but I I maybe that maybe they would view that as a waste of time but I I think it would be kind of a cool gesture that, to show really that cool. like yes this is a world that's evolving and we're not leaving stuff behind, and like it's it would be weird to kind of do that now, but I I still think that would be a really cool idea for them to do that. Yeah, it would be really cool. And and then if Destiny Three came out, it it had all of the content from one and two included in it. Yeah, you know? exactly. And then it just keeps building and building. And like, yeah, maybe it's like a hundred gigs of my hard drive when it's all said and done. But like, you know, so what? And like those zones, at least the Destiny One zones are like most of them are a lot smaller than the new zone. So I, I feel like it wouldn't be that crazy to do. I mean, 
you know, I'm not a game dev and they're already stretched thin as it is, but you know, give that, give that project to like a, you know, one of their partner developers or something yeah. like just like areas or something. Yeah. 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 Like can, you know, convert these maps and, and upload them and kind of re- redo these missions and, and strikes and whatnot. Cause like, I would love for there to be, you know, 10 more strikes in the rotation. Like even if they amazing. were destiny one strikes, like that would be awesome. Like that would be so cool. And well, would, you know, you could really pick and would. choose what you wanted to integrate, but Man, I, I I really think it's it's a missed opportunity to leave all that stuff behind in a game like this. It is. It really is. I mean, this is not Call of Duty, you know. This is not one of those games where we where there's a, a formula that is proven to work and you know, you release those certain number of maps each time and then there's more maps released later like Destiny's its own thing. It really needs its own uh, its own vision and having all that old content would also allow them to create a lot of new content on top of the old content, you know. Uh, the kind of live events and stuff that we have in this game could easily be happening on, you know, on the moon and, and whatnot. Yeah, new new public events, or like they could hide you secrets know. in the old parts of the map. Like you go yeah, back to the dreadnought. I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff, and like mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like maybe you maybe you don't have the old raids or something, or like maybe you know because those are their own huge zones, and like maybe you make some cuts, but just to have kind of at least the patrol zones and, and be able to use those for some content i think that would be well, a good call i don't know this, is, ideally, now going, this is now going to turn into an article ideally well i mean it just makes so much sense it's it's of all the things in destiny 2 the biggest the biggest problem is the fact that it replaced all it just got rid of all of destiny 1 that is fundamentally i think the biggest problem with the game and it didn't have to be that way you know like imagine if world of warcraft with its first expansion got rid of the rest of the map <laughs> And, like, didn't add any new enemies and didn't add any new classes or races or anything, you know? And that was how they expanded. I mean, it would be crazy, right? We look at that and we think, that's crazy. Well, it's crazy for Destiny. Yeah. It's just as crazy, you know? Um, no, it's not a subscription model, so we don't expect quite the same support. But you do – You it is in a way because you're paying for DLCs. And those DLCs are – DLC and there's apply. microtransactions. Like, when you add it all up, it, like, might as well be a it subscription is. model. Yeah, and, and really, like – you know, you could still have Destiny 3 come out and you could still require someone to pay for it or whatever. Although I think that if you own Destiny 2, you shouldn't have to pay the full price for it. But that should come out and have all the old all the old content. And then it should also come with a new Guardian and new enemies. It should feel like, you know, if you're going to re- have major releases, there should be major additions made. Not just new zones. Not just tweaked game mechanics like a stupid loadout like they have. You know, there needs to be things that that gamers expect from a sequel or even from an expansion in an MMO. And I don't understand exactly. I mean, I do under I do see that like all the work that was going on with the live team for Destiny One was happening at the same time as Destiny Two was being developed, and that is a big part of the problem. You know, the, but, their timeline is nuts. Like to be fair to Bungie and everyone, so much. Like, yeah, this deal they worked out with Activision, where they have to have these giant content updates, whether it's a new game or an expansion, every year is insane. Yeah, like I, oh, yeah. it's I, that that to me is at least a big part of the problem. Where I, I think Destiny just can't be as big and expansive as it needs to be because they just it's with their current system, it's almost logistically impossible to make it like yeah. that, and like they're just. You know, and they're kind of scrambling for time. And when I think they're scrambling, they make mistakes. And now they're spending all their time correcting those mistakes, like, you know, over the course of the first year of Destiny 2 now. So I I don't know. I would rather just wait 
you know, four or five years between like giant updates than this like crazy frenetic cycle of DLCs and major expansions and stuff. But then again, like I always want to keep playing new content. So it's, it's tough because you just always want new content to the point where it's almost impossible for them to produce as much as players want to play. Which is exactly why they shouldn't get rid of the old content. Yep. <laughs> because if you have the old content in there, it's just easier to make new content for it also. You know, like like you have, you know, what, four four or five different zones in Destiny 2, right? Yeah, by the end, and I think then, it was five. Well, so like in both games, you have, you know, a handful of zones. Well, you know, if you're running public events and things like that on just four or five, that's that's limiting. If you've got ten and you can do things all across those ten, that's just you're just going to have more variety. And if you have, you know, instead of a crucible playlist, that's, you know, however many maps they have now, if you had twice that or three times that, because you have all the old maps from destiny one in there, you know, it's just, it's just a no brainer. You have more content, the more content you have, the better and the less hard you have to work to create new stuff. Yeah. So, you know, the more time you can put in between those releases of new content. So yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's just, that's a mistake where they could fix it. Now it would be a lot of work. Yeah, they should. They should do it. I it's a good idea. But we'll, I highly doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> and I mean, Warmind. You know that. So now we're we're back to Warmind, and I don't know. I'm just not excited about it. I, I'm going to play it. Like I played the last one. Also, I can't even remember what it was called. Cur- Curse of Osiris. <laughs> Curse of Osiris. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, this is the <laughs> the uh, the uh, patrol zone. Yeah, the- it's like. 40 feet wide. <laughs> I just feel like Destiny has lost so much steam now, which is such a bummer because it had like going into yeah. Destiny 3 or Destiny 2, it was just, it was, it was in good shape. And then just all the wind went out of the sails, you know, a couple months into the sequel being out. And it's just a bummer because I, I really feel like this can be kind of like the all time great IPs in the, in the gaming sector, but not at this current pace now. <laughs> So it's, yeah. it's like, what, what can respark this? Like, will it, can they have even a Taken King type moment at this point? Cause like now this is something that's happening four years into the game instead of one year into the game. And or like, does it have to be a whole new sequel? Like it, it's hard for me. It's like VR. It's like, what's going to be like the big VR thing now mm-hmm. <laughs> that all these VR headsets are out and nothing's really broken through. Like I, I similar to destiny. Like, I don't know what's going to break through kind of after this malaise that's been going on. Well, and I think another part of the problem is Fortnite. For, Fortnite's you know? a problem for everyone. <laughs> it's just for siphoning everyone. away. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for every kind of game that's a, that's a shooter or that's an online, I mean, it's not going to hurt God of War. Right. But it's going to hurt, you know, it hurts. And I, I guess, you know, you look at Far Cry 5, that did really well, but that's got a lot of single player stuff. Destiny relies on multiplayer. You know, I mean, for me personally, I'm, I like playing the solo port, parts of, you know, the story and everything. I mean, I don't care as much. I'm not as avid a fan as like you are and, and a lot of other people like my brother and whatnot. But, but for a lot of people, the destiny's appeal is doing a lot of, you know, a lot of the online stuff, a lot of the uh, co-op stuff, uh, playing, playing on and on and on for months and months and months. And a game like Fortnite comes around and just takes all of the, you know, it just takes all the energy from these other games and all these players from these other games. And boom, they're playing this free, free to play game. That's easy to play. That that requires you know very little investment, super accessible. But when you get good, you get good, you know. And I think that's going to be a real struggle. I mean, that's why I think we're going to see battle royales from just about every major shooter franchise there is. Um, trying <laughs> can't to, wait, and I think that that's 
good and bad. You know, I'm I'm of the mind that like more competition is always good. Like if all we had is Doom and Wolfenstein in the first person shooter genre, that would suck. Um, so I'm I'm glad there's gonna be more takes on this, and I think some of them will be good. But um, but what is where does that leave a game like Destiny? I mean, I, a yeah, approach? I feel like Destiny is always focused yeah. too much on PvP and gave up too much for the yes. sake of PvP balance when like. Yeah, like, PvP oh, is, yes. is fine in Destiny. Like, it's fun. But, like, there there's so much competition in that space that, like... But there is no competition, really, in the PvE looter space. There was... It's had the market yeah. almost entirely to itself outside of really old games, like Borderlands 2, or, like, maybe yeah, The Division. Yeah, like, too. And yeah. by not making that the primary focus and kind of having PvP be, like, a side thing... I think that's been a mistake, but they've just been really kind of splitting it in half where like, oh, we got to make sure like everything's going to be okay for PvP if we add this. And like, that's been, you know, cause it's like, whoa, why can't we add a new class? Oh, well, because PvP is balanced around having three classes and three, you know, elemental types and stuff. And it's, it's a lot easier to unbalance PvP by doing anything than it is PvE. Cause like, no one cares if you're overpowered in PvE, but it can totally wreck PvP. So I think Destiny has always catered too much uh, to PvP, and that's been a problem because there's just too much competition that it's never going to be able to keep up. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Borderlands, where's the new Borderlands game? That seems like... I don't know. Like, I don't I, I don't trust Gearbox at this point not. to not screw that up. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but they seem like the kind of company that should have Borderlands 3 out, really taken advantage of Destiny's uh, success, and then also... They're definitely going to have a battle royale some, somehow mixed in there because, you know, it's Gearbox and <laughs> they're like almost as bad as high res. Well, they, yeah. So, the, I mean, that's where Borderlands 3 is, is they spent however many years making Battleborn yep. to try and capitalize on the hero shooter and MOBA trend. They had both both modes in that. <laughs> But clearly, we saw how that worked out. So you know, there never was a MOBA trend. There was two MOBA games that did well and a bunch of games that didn't. You know, like this is this you say is, that about hero shooters too. Well, well hero <laughs> shooters, I feel like no one really gave it a, a worthwhile shot. You know, like the the reason that Battleborn didn't succeed wasn't because like there were too many hero shooters on the market. It was because it wasn't a very good game. You know, that, no, that's true about all, all pretty much all the hero shooter competition yeah. games that showed up. Just they weren't that they weren't good and like <laughs> thing. Like it wouldn't be. That. I mean, the closest thing I would say is Black Ops Three to like an actual hero shooter. Which is weird to say, but I mean, it's kind of true. And if the rumors are true, Black Ops 4 oh, God, will be like yeah. superhero shooter. I hope not. That scares the crap that out of me. It sounds like so such bad. a bad idea. Guess I'll be playing World War II next year also. Yep. <laughs> or, 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 I mean, Battlefield, maybe that'll be good. That's a World War II themed Battlefield, apparently. So. Yeah. Well, okay, so we've solved all of Destiny 2's problems now. Yep, so. that was easy. Just... Bring back um, all the old stuff. and Bring back the old stuff. As much of it as you can. Put it all together. If you release Destiny 3, put it, all of Destiny 1 and 2 together and all of the new stuff in Destiny 3, and you'll have yourself a really, really awesome game. Perfect. <laughs> Don't do those crappy loadouts. <laughs> all right. Talk to you guys next week. See ya. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care.
Have you checked out the big podcast with Shaq here at Podcast One? Yeah, we talk basketball, but we're a lot more than just sports. I met this fabulous lady. She had to be in her 70s. Knew everything about me, knew everything about sports. And the last thing she says, I love your podcast. And I'm wow. Like, Thank you very much. Oh, but I hate that John Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Listen free to the big podcast with Shaq exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. I can't believe it. That Philip brought his little brother on our mission into orbit. How long until we get there? How long until we get there? How long until we get there? No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? No, 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 don't touch that. Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.